how can cultures of positivity actually be toxic? We're going to dig into that today. Also, we're going to look at the whole topic of psychological safety. It's one of the uh, hottest concepts around the, the leadership and workplace culture domains at the moment, yet it remains somewhat elusive, misunderstood and challenging to achieve. We're going to talk to our expert who's going to give us a bit of a handle on how to look at that. Beyond Wellbeing, leading a thriving, generative and conscious workplace culture with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. So I'm really excited um, to welcome in today's episode uh, Brock Bastian that I had the pleasure to hear from at um, the Workplace Wellness Festival a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I really enjoyed the topic that he was speaking about, which is uh, around psychological safety and the prevention of mental illness, which are, of course, topics that are highly relevant in today's context. And uh, as I was reading uh, Brock's uh, LinkedIn profile, I wanted to make sure that I covered all the different titles that Brock has. It's actually quite impressive because he's uh, not only a psychologist and a researcher, but also an author, a speaker, a consultant, a professor at the University of Melbourne and now partner of the newly formed uh, Psychological Safety Australia. So really, really a warm welcome to you, Brock. And Thank you. Uh, um, I might hand it over to Daryl to just uh, open with the first question. Yeah. Um, so Brock, we're probably kind of quite interested to work out um, where your interest came from as you kind of worked in and got into the whole psychological space there. You know, I, I really started in a, in a research uh, context mostly, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm a social psychologist, and, and so one of the things that I guess we do as, as social psychologists is trying to understand, or, or I guess we see people and try and understand people in contexts, um, and, and understand how contexts impact on on individual functioning. And, and so, for me, in terms of I suppose the, the mental health aspect, uh, you know, when I look at figures around Australia at the moment of one in five people in one year or in a lifetime experiencing uh, mental illness, you know, I, I start to look at that from a social psychological perspective and think, well, what is, what's common about these people's experience that could be contributing to that? And again, we do see differences across countries. So we know that, that the culture, uh, the social norms, that these, these broader social and, and environmental factors are influencing these rates of mental illness. And so Again, as a, you know, as, a, as a social psychologist, I'm particularly interested in culture and understanding how that works and how that impacts on people. Um, and really, I, we, you know, I started, I, started I, I guess, working with this, this idea of psychological safety. Um, it's not my idea. It's an idea that's come from Amy Edmondson over at Harvard. Um, but what, it, what, to me, I think it, it kind of resonates with is this, this notion of, of authenticity and um, being able to... Uh, create an environment where people um, feel they're not judged, where people feel they're able to be be who they are, but also an environment which is which is not necessarily just always forgiving, but it's quite robust as well. Um, it enables people to step in and have these robust interactions and and um, conversations, and it allows for I guess in that sense and through that pathway for um, really to be able to address quite a few issues early, um, and in, and again in a way which is preventative. And that's a big difference, isn't it? Because uh, when we've looked at, well, looked at the news, the daily news, where we see 
uh, companies and, and individuals have turned up and they've done the wrong thing and all that kind of thing. We've, we've seen a mass of, of culture, of workplace mm. culture, which has led to that point. And Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Hain Royal Commission mentioned culture some 470-something times, I think, in the report. So, again, it was recognised, very well recognised, that some of the things that went wrong in the Banking Royal Commission was all to do with, with culture and people not being able to speak up and, and address issues. Um, but also, you know, just as it affects those sorts of external decision-making or, well, internal decision-making, but with implications externally for the organisation, it also um, it also allows people to address things like incivility, bullying, conduct issues internally um, to be able to raise those and, and feel like they, they can have a direct influence over the behaviour and culture of their team and their, their immediate group or the organisation even more broadly um, and to be able to have some influence there so that it, it, it's, I suppose it's set in a way which re reduces job stress for people, but also provides an environment that's, that's, that they enjoy, that they feel connected to. And I guess that allows teams and organisations and individuals to flourish if they, if they have that, yeah. So as a consultant, if you were approached by a company that um, is experiencing a lot of um, toxicity and a culture of bullying and blaming and shaming and uh, distrust, et cetera, could you describe the sort of process or approach, um, what, what sort of framework could you be using to address those kind of issues and transform the culture? Yeah, no, good point. I mean, the first thing we do is we, we actually, um, we, we try and get people to understand what culture is, because we talk about it all the time, but not, we don't really always say, well, okay, what is it? You know, where is, it, where is culture? Where does it exist? Is it in our heads? Is it in the space between us? Is it in the, you know, in the logo of the organisation, where is where is culture? And so helping people to understand what culture is allows them to then think about, well, how, how they might be able to actually influence culture. And of course, you know, people often say, well, culture is too hard, you can't change culture, but, but there are good examples of culture changing incredibly quickly. Um, and, and, you know, drawing on those helps people to see, oh, okay, I mean, if, if I, if I sort of, you know, I do have the capacity to influence the way that the culture is in an organisation. We then also, um, take people through a range of exercises, which really is providing insight into, you know, our own blind spots and biases in the, in the way that we make decisions um, and, and help people to see that we're, you know, in areas, including around ethical issues and again, ethical issues, I guess, cover that whole gamut of interpersonal um, interactions in an organisation, the way we treat other people is an ethical issue and helping people to see even in that, even in that space, which tends to be, you know, something that people are quite sensitive about. We're often inconsistent. We're often, doing one thing and saying another, or we, or our decision-making, the basis on which we make decisions is often quite inconsistent too. Um, so just in the same way that we're predictably, predictably irrational, as Dan Ariely would say in behavioral economics, we're also predictably irrational when it comes to ethics and behavioral ethics um, in the way that we treat each other. And so I, and that's a very important part of, for us in terms of enabling good effective conversations is that people come down off their soapbox and recognize, look, I'm probably, I might be overreacting to this. Maybe I've got this wrong, but I wanted to raise it with you, and and I wanted to talk it so that we could actually find some common understanding in this in this space. So to do that, we also provide people with uh, some tools for good communication. Um, you know, one of the things that I think people a really simple thing that people are really, really all of us I say all of us are really bad at is 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 basic assertiveness, how to be assertive. Um, and one of the reasons for that is people are really bad at being vulnerable. 
Um, and being assertive is ultimately about being vulnerable. It's asking for what you want without forcing an outcome. Um, and so that, that, you know, part of that is around understanding that, that again, that role of vulnerability in, in, in effective communication and um, how to actually bring that into a team and enable other people to feel that they can, they can you know, communicate effectively and assertively as well. Um, so we, we focus on, on, again, a range of skills around that. Um, and then also get people to, you know, to think about what sort of values they'd like to see and, and where they'd like to take things going forward. So there's a range of, I guess, different levers that we, we, we use to try and build or create psychologically safe um, team culture. And, and again, I think that the term has been used uh, quite a lot, but there are, there are, I guess, different ways that people might think about building this. And, and sometimes simply knowing what the, the attributes of a particular thing are doesn't necessarily tell you anything about how you should go about building it. And sometimes you need other kinds of components to actually know, well, how can we create this thing we know is valuable? Mm. I'm also curious, um, you, you mentioned the blind spots. I'm really curious, how do you get leadership buy-in when the leaders themselves might be the bullies and might have that huge blind spots. They don't see that they are the ones who actually create that culture. Yeah, okay. Well, one thing we do is we ask people whether they would take a pen or a pencil from work or if they ever have. Um, and mostly everyone puts their hand up and has a reason as to why it's fine. And then we ask them if they've ever taken a dollar from the petty cash tin. Um, and, and, and most people say, no, I'd never do that. And then we ask them, well, what's the difference? Why would you take a pen and not a, not a dollar from a petty cash tin? You know, these sorts of examples throw up that we're very inconsistent. Of course, taking pens, is, is, we're not here to stop people from taking pens, but mm. it, it just helps people to see, oh, well, I, I justify one thing, but I won't justify another. Why is that? It's ultimately the same cost to an organisation, but one thing seems perfectly fine. So then, so then building from that, I suppose, it, it, it just helps people to see and, and it's that part of often the day where people do kind of go, oh, okay, I guess we'd better take a, a good look at how we're making decisions here because we, we ultimately are going to have some blind spots in there. And so we, we have a, a range of, you know, different, different um, you know, good exercises like that where we, where we get people to, to, I guess, recognize, oh, yeah, I did have some blind spots and I didn't see them. In an organization, you know, it's a bit like uh, that story of uh, the, the naked emperor and nobody wants mm. to tell them that they are not wearing clothes. So um, yeah. how, do you, how do you convince or how, how do you uh, get a leader to, to see that the organization has a toxic culture and that something needs to change, something needs to be addressed uh, and that they may require the help of a, an external consultant such as yourself yeah. to change it when they don't see that there is a problem. You know how sometimes some leaders are completely unaware that yeah. their behavior are actually creating that psychological unsafety that nobody wants or dares to speak or dares to innovate or dares to do anything different. So yeah, sure. if you were, you know, like asked to make the case for why is it necessary to... To do well, something about this, what would it look like? Yeah, okay. I, I mean, it's a, a good question. I think, um, I mean, often, often leaders come to this because of, you know, the results of surveys or other kinds of um, perhaps more public-facing problems that, that arise and they realise that they need to do something. So often it is a, a sort of reactive uh, type of response. Um, but, but again, I mean, understanding the benefits that come from getting this right, it's not just about um, reducing 
you know, avoiding negative outcomes. It's also about producing positive outcomes mm -hmm. and, and it happens, you know, hand in hand. And, um, you know, we, we often sort of say that, 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 again, work, you know, good work is good for people. And so we spend a lot of our time at work um, and, and getting that part of it right is not only going to mean that you're going to promote probably mental health as opposed to, you know, uh, mental illness and, and again workplaces can be a protective factor for, for mental illness or mental health problems it, you know in workplaces can be exactly the place where we actually prevent those sorts of issues arising across society there's a, there's a there's enormous potential there but of course for an organization that's obviously very important as well because you know there's there's costs associated with stress leave and all the rest um, there's also um, you know added value in terms of things like innovation um, how teams work together this notion of shared identity, employee engagement, performance, all of these things come out of, a, a, I guess, an effective team environment and, and culture where people feel they're able to, to talk openly, raise issues, be, contribute um, authentically. Um, and so there's a lot of value in that for, for organisations and teams. Whether you can convince every leader that's necessary, that's, I wish I could. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Across your work with organisations, have you seen some incredible, have you seen some transformations like, you know, can you, can you, can you um, look back and see um, they were like this and now they're like this and some cultures have really um, turned around the corner there? Yeah, so certainly, certainly where we've come in and, and for example, off the back of perhaps a pulse survey where there's been some issues around, um, you know, again, incivility and bullying, discrimination, which have been raised there might not be a large number of people but enough to to trigger some you know some need for intervention and we've come in to provide some of this sort of training around how to deal with that and approach it uh, internally in teams and and as we've as we sort of roll that out across uh, across the organization we've also seen that you know other people have come you know come up to us in the days afterwards and say you know not not only not only do we feel more able to address those sorts of issues but actually we're we're just able to be a little more open, a little more sort of, I, I guess, yeah, authentic with each other. Um, you see a bit of positivity really come out of it because people have come together to work out, well, how can we make work a better place? Um, and even in doing that, there's, um, there's a, a, again, an increased engagement in the team um, in that kind of those positive interactions that people have too. So it, it builds, not only builds the capacity to deal with those, those issues, but actually to kind of build something more positive. So we certainly have seen teams Come back to us and, and say, look, you know, things have changed. We've noticed, we've noticed a bit of a difference. And, and of course, sometimes that requires some follow-up, you know, and to make sure that people, you know, not just not not just a one, you know, come in, deliver a training session, and walk off again. Sometimes it does require some follow-up to really embed that. Um, but but again, people do notice that when they go through it. Yeah. And you have a background in ethics, so I was wondering, how would you support or advocate the role of ethics in um, in organisations, is there any way that we could bring more of that notion in the ballroom? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I think increasingly um, ethics is going to be, you know, one of those sort of bottom line accounting type issues that we're going, that organisations are going to need to take into account. Um, I mean, people expect more of organisations these days. They're not happy to see them just as, as profit making machines. Um, maybe there was a point, you know, back in the 80s where that was acceptable. Um, it's not acceptable today. And so organisations need to need to show their social 
their social value as well. Um, and that's both externally and internally. So again, there's an entire generation of consumers coming forward who care about the ethics and the ethical reputation of, of organisations that they, they purchase goods and services from. And so that, that's going to have market value for organisations to think about how they are viewed and how they're, you know, again, through that ethical lens. Um, also internally, people aren't willing to, to tolerate toxic workplaces anymore. Um, they, they want workplaces where they do feel safe, where they feel that they're able to, to, to you know, to enjoy and, and, and feel connected to the work that they do. Um, I think increasingly people want meaningful work. Um, you know, the younger generation really interested in finding meaning in what they do. Um, and again, this, this, this rubs against a little bit the, the idea, I think, which has been probably proliferated uh, a lot, maybe a bit too much um, in recent times around just, just sort of positivity and, and the importance of positivity in organisations. And again, a lot of my, my research and other work touches on, I guess, what you might call toxic positivity. Um, this, 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 this sort of mandate to continue to be happy and maintain happiness and, you know, happiness is an important goal and as an organisation we want people to be happy and, of course, that's not always authentic um, and, and look, work is, good work is good for people but sometimes work sucks and, and you, you know, you should be allowed to, to let people know around you that that's how you're feeling or, or that, that it's okay not to be okay, you know, that maybe you're not feeling great today and that's, that's okay. It's, it's okay to be at work when you're not feeling great. You don't have to be you know, positive and flourishing the whole time. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess there's a, you know, a range of things in there in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of thinking through that, yeah. Yeah, that's music to my ears because I, I heard this really beautiful talk by Tammy Simon from um, Sounds True. She was speaking at the Conscious Capitalism event and she was mentioning mm. um, this tendency uh, that has been, I guess, there's a trend that has been launched mostly by people like Zappos and um, organizations like Zappos with that that focus on let's be happy, chappy, et cetera, but it's it's not necessarily good for us. And she was talking about the fact that she was introducing check-ins where people were sharing authentically about yeah. pain and the sadness. And, and it is also through embracing all those emotions that we can relate to each other and, and know that we are humans and that... Uh, uh, we are all going through difficult times and that we can support each other through that journey rather than pretend that that we are happy. So, um, yeah, yeah, I was curious about, about your book, uh, The Other Side of Happiness, and, and how how do you introduce that concept in, in organizations? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there is a, 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 a quite a recognition now that, that we have to be a little bit cautious about how we promote you know, positivity and happiness. There's, it's been a very important move to, to show that we can focus on human strengths and we can grow those. And again, positive psychology has been very important in terms of that area. Um, but it needs to be, it also needs to be tempered sometimes and the way that it gets rolled out often isn't always tempered. Um, and it does need to be tempered with that idea that, okay, if we are going to promote this, 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 this positive mindset and positive thinking and importance of feeling happy emotions, we also have to, at the same time, promote the value of the opposite of that too. You know, it's 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 important to have negative emotions. It's important to experience those parts of what it means to be human, and there's value in that as well. Um, so I think I think you know being able to being able to I guess balance that out is is very important, and and really the you know in terms of the book and and where I've um, come from with that, I, I guess it's about finding value 
in some of our painful experiences in life and why they actually are very important even for us to experience happiness. You know, there is a lot of value mm -hmm. there. Speaking of um, negative emotions and, uh, and painful experiences, there's something we really like to ask our guests in this podcast. It's um, what, what, has, what have been your personal painful experiences that have made you the person you are? Like, or how did you overcome um, mm. difficult times and what did you learn from that? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, look, I guess, I guess there's, you know, we've all had plenty of them and, um, and, and, and look, so, sometimes we put ourselves in difficult times as well. I think I've often chosen to do, you know, various things um, in life, which has perhaps challenged me and, 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 you know, put me outside my comfort zone, which I found very important, you know, in, in the, the younger years. Um, I, I mean, probably, I mean, a really relevant one right now is the fact that uh, I'm still in shutdown in Melbourne and have been since about March. And if you had told me in March, I would have been still in shutdown <laughs> in September, I would have cried. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, I, I, I think that's certainly been, this, this is and has and continues to be a challenging experience. Um, and, and, and again, I think it's just, it goes to show that, that sometimes you can do, deal with things you wouldn't have thought you could have dealt with once, once you are put in that position and you have to, you have to do it. Um, in that sense, it, it can reveal the strengths you've got and the abilities you've got to, to push through. And again, we don't really know what we're made of until we have to face into something difficult. And if that difficulty isn't there, then we never get that, that, that ultimate test of knowing ourselves um, and what we, what we can do. So, so that's certainly important. And I, I think, again, you know, other, other things that, that you recognise through this is that you, you do, you know, it does bring people together. This community that forms around these sorts of experiences. I mean, right now, I think it's, you know, I think it's hard to form community. We're all in lockdown in Melbourne and it's, um, you know, you, you really, there's not much to say anymore. I mean, you know, what have you been doing? I don't know, watching Netflix. What do you like watching? You know, it's just conversations aren't that interesting at the moment. But I, I, I am looking forward to that point at the end. And often this is where the benefit of these experiences really do, where it does kick in, where, where once we're able to kind of, you know, re—I guess re-emerge and go back to that normality. There will there will be shared stories for years to come about this whole experience, and that will people will feel a sense of connectedness, having having gone through that together and having dealt with it together. And I think even in organisations right now, there's a lot of value that can be leveraged from thinking about well, you know, what are the, how can we actually uh, draw on some of these experiences that people are going through as, you know, in teams, um, the, the, the new ways of working, the way we're having to adapt to all of this. And, and there, are, there are opportunities there to, to draw out some of these benefits that people, you know, of, of these shared experiences we're going through. And again, if that, those, those things are there if we manage it well, and we know how to, how to draw that out well. Yeah. And so that, that kind of pulls up into that whole concept and I suppose there's a big catchphrase at the moment of, of resilience in a way, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it flows into that. Yeah, the resilience is a, it's a funny one. I, I mean, I, I certainly uh, talk about resilience and I, I think it's a great concept. Um, I think some people have started to uh, see it as a, a, a dirty word because it's been used to cover up, I guess, you know, great injustices. So, you know, organisations will say, like, great, let's, let's, let's train people to be resilient but not change our culture and practices and we'll work people to the bone and we'll continue to manage them in vain in, in, in unsupportive ways and we'll let the toxic culture roll on but we'll just make sure everyone's got the tools to cope with it um so that that i think is 
has grown, that, that type of approach to it has grown old and people are now saying, hey, let's, let's deal with the, the core issues. Um, but, but look, in terms of understanding, um, you know, and from a psychological perspective, resilience is an incredibly important um, topic um, and understanding how we can build it. I think, again, it's one of those things that, you know, knowing what resilience is doesn't necessarily tell you how it can be built. Um, and, and, and I think, again, we are, often there are people uh, who are suggesting that we can become resilient through using some of these, um, through some of these practices like mindfulness and, and positive thinking and those sorts of, and, and that, that is true. They, these are important tools, but also one of, the, one of the, the most important ways we become resilient is also through dealing with hardship and facing into it and, and acknowledging and accepting it um, and, and not, not sort of imagining it's not there. So an actual fact, difficulty and hardship is, is at its core where we, where we build resilience and capacity to, to deal with things better in the future. Um, we often use the term psychological immunity. I mean, we use, we use, we use vaccinations to trigger biological immunity. Um, you know, a small amount of the pathogen triggers that, that biological response so that we can build the capacity to deal with pathog you know, those same pathogens in the future. It's the same with psychology. If you, you need a little bit of something sometimes to, to, to trigger that, that psychological resilience, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm curious because, as you said, um, uh, the word resilience and I guess the word mindfulness or even well-being have not only been highly commoditized, but they have been used almost like for the dark force, like in, in order to really exploit uh, yes. people. So what would be the ways to safeguard against that misuse, I guess, of, of those tools? Yeah, I think we have to encourage people to look at the, you know, the, the, the underlying and background factors that, that impact on, on mental health. Um, so, uh, again, if there are things we can't change, then let's practice some mindfulness to try and deal with the things we can't change. But if there are things, if there are things we can change, let's change those things as a primary point of, of intervention rather than teach people to be mindful and, and try and ignore them. Um, so, so, I mean, I think, I think you know, my... my my sort of take on psychology is basically we offer two types of interventions. One is to accept the things you can't change, and the other one is to change the things you can. I think it's an old saying somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah well. that's right. And the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> yeah, the serendipity thing. Yeah. But but I mean that 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 is the essence of actually what captures most of most of the psychological intervention today is is mm -hmm. either teach people to, to to change what they can change or think differently, but also to to lean in and accept the things that they can't change. Um, and I think when it comes to, to organisations, knowing that there are things we can change uh, is really, really important. And, and, and that's really where you're going to get the value. Um, you, can, you can teach people tools to deal with that toxic culture, but, but ultimately, you know, you're better off dealing with the, the core issue. Um, so helping people to see, I guess, the difference between, um, you know, what, what is, um, I guess, the, the, some of the early interventions, again, have been around raising awareness around mental illness so so making people aware of okay, what happens when someone becomes mentally ill how can we identify it that's kind of seen as early intervention but i think we need to go much further beyond that to get at well what are the sorts of things that could make people mentally ill in this workplace and then how can we actually deal with those more effectively um and, and i think we're starting to move in that direction and as a social psychologist it makes me very happy and this is a it's a it's a big thing now and and as you've been talking i uh, just looking at the workplace and how long we um, spend in the workplace, uh, slightly different over this COVID era, but 
but it's still a, a huge component of our life, isn't it? And, yep. I, and I think so often we've had that divorce between work and play and play is, or after work is where you look after yourself. Yeah. And then work is like, you're just there for the, the beck and call of your leader, so to speak. Yeah. But that, yeah. it seems like there's, there's a bit deeper understanding now of the role that organisations can actually play in creating yeah. something that, that goes beyond that. Absolutely. And I, I, I think it's untapped um, to a large degree still. Um, I mean, as, as you say, you know, the, the idea that, that, that you know, that, I mean, work, work is such a fundamental part of, of our life. Um, and and we, we do often see it as, okay, let's, let's make work okay so it doesn't make anyone mentally ill. Um, but what we also know, and I, I actually started as a psychologist working in the unemployment services sector and, and saw the impact of unemployment on people, and that was devastating. People feel, well, you know, people feel all sorts of meaninglessness and purposelessness and depression and anxiety when they're not employed. So being employed is, is mostly very good for people's health. Um, and then being employed in a job that they feel engaged in, in an organisation they feel supported by, in a team they feel connected to, um, all of these things are, are, are major contributors to, to good and positive and flourishing mental health and can actually really protect um, people from having mental health issues, not only in organisations, but out there in the community as well. Um, so, you know, organisations can really be, be turned from a risk factor, which we often see, okay, how can, we, how can we mitigate the risk of work for mental illness? But, but actually, well, how can we look at organisations as a protective factor to actually prevent mental illness in the first place, not just because of work stress, although that's a big contributor we know, it's a major contributor to, to mental illness, but also to provide that positive, that positive um, environment for people that might even protect them from other forms of stress that they, they experience outside the organisation. Um, and, and again, I think that's a way of turning it inside out and thinking about it very differently. Um, but it offers, you know, and if you're going to sort of start to talk about ethics um, and social value, I think there is a place that people are going to continue to look at and say, well, what are you doing for people and how are you supporting them? Um, as, as humans, as opposed to just workers that are going to make profit, and people are going to increasingly value that in organisations, both as employees and also as consumers. That's a very inspiring vision to hold, like to actually see organisations as those places of transformation and uh, positivity, or to uh, help people thrive and, and flourish. Um, yep. And uh, that makes me wonder what would your intentions be with uh, Psychological Safety Australia? And also like what more would you wish to do in the next few years if, if you did not have any constraints? Like if everything was possible, what would you like to make happen? Yeah, sure. Well, I, I mean, I, I think again, uh, having the opportunity to start some of that, you know, some of that, that, that positive influence around culture and organisations, I think is, is, is great. And, and again, some of the, right now some of the ways that we can start to think about how to utilize the shared experience we've all been through to, to even even i suppose um fast track some of that as well because the opportunity is there right now um so i think that's 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 a great you know and, and to think that you can actually start to use and again psychological safety is is just you know it's the concept that that we felt is perhaps most descriptive of the kind of thing that we're trying to, to build Kind of thing that we think is going to really really have these sorts of outcomes that, that we're interested in so look building that and having the opportunity to 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 introduce that um 
uh, and the way that we do it um, to, to a range of organisations more broadly would be fantastic. Um, but I'm, I guess I've also got, you know, I've got ambitions as a, as a, as a researcher as well and, and uh, you know, continuing to, to further that research program in terms of understanding the role of ethics and morality in society and how that impacts on, uh, on our well-being and mental health and, and connecting those two worlds together, I think, is going to continue to offer insights and opportunities. Um, again, you know, moving away from this idea that it's about positivity and positive thinking, but more about meaningful connection and ethics and, and even, you know, obligation. Um, the, these sorts of concepts are increasingly, I think, important for thinking about what, is, what does it mean to live a good life and, and what makes people feel mentally healthy. Um, and sometimes it is that, that interpersonal and ethical space. So, you know, I, I guess trying to, trying, to, trying to kind of push that from both sides of the of the coin in terms of both practice and application, but also research and theorizing would be, would be fun. Looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And uh, well, thank you very much for the time you've been able to spend with us today. And um, that's absolutely um, fantastic. And it's quite exciting to see where we can go in the future with that, um, the yep. sorts of impacts that you're having and the sorts of impacts that this kind of thinking of this creating this psychologically safe space um it, it's going to be quite um revolutionary idea for some organizations i'm sure yeah yeah that's right so so uh, so what's the you, you've given us a couple of websites or ways that people can follow your work or find out more about what you're doing maybe you can mention those to us just as we close yeah sure so we've um so size safe www.psysaf e.com.au is our is a website for Psychological Safety Australia and we've got a I guess a range of um, yeah you know look up there and see what we do more more there um, and in terms of research um, rockbastion.com uh, is, is where you know the, the book is and, and also you can follow the research that, that you know that myself and members of my lab are producing as well so um, yeah those two those two are places to touch base. Awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Brock, and uh, we look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much for having, having me, Darren and Lena. It's great. It's very interesting. You've been listening to Beyond Wellbeing with Daryl Brown and Lena Mberku. Well, that was worthwhile sticking around for, wasn't it? Some great insights there. Now, if you want to follow up with um, Brock Bastian, you can do that uh, in a couple of his websites. If you're really interested in the psychological safety aspects of his work, you can go to scisafe.com.au, psysafe.com.au. Or if you're interested in his other work, his book, The Other Side of Happiness, then you can head over to brockbastian.com, brockbastian.com. And of course, if you want to catch up with Lena, you can check her out on her LinkedIn profile, Lena Mberku, or myself, Daryl Brown, also happened to be on LinkedIn. Uh, and Lena's website is macroleaders.com.au, and you can get to me via upsidedownleader.com. Check you next week.